That must be the scariest sound in the world. What could be worse? Hearing a creak on the floorboards outside your bedroom door at night, um, and then the squeak of the door handle turning. I suppose if you're a parent, the sound of your child crying is awful. That is, if it's a real cry, and not just a cry for more ice cream. When I took my dog to the vet to have his chip implanted, he yelped in pain, and it was a terrible, rough cry. That was one of the most distressing sounds, but when it comes to fear, real fear, it must be the air raid siren. Obviously, I've never heard it used for real. Um, My gran has. She was ten when the war started. Although, when I ask her about it, she doesn't recall the siren with any sense of fear. Her childhood recollection is that all the kids would be excited on hearing it because it might mean you got the next day off school. Now, the closest I've come to hearing it sounded for real is during the early days of the war in Ukraine. I had a webcam on showing the golden rooftops of St Michael's Monastery in Kiev, and I was just working quietly in the room, the webcam being cast to the TV, and suddenly the siren started in Kiev. And it made me feel physically sick. I'd never heard it used in a real wartime scenario. We've all heard it in films, or perhaps heard it being sounded at a museum or some kind of reenactment. And there are some towns in Britain which use them as flood warnings. But hearing it in Ukraine in an actual war was awful. And yes, of course, I'm aware of my immense privilege and good fortune in being able to watch the skyline of Kiev from my nice safe flat in Glasgow. But the sound... Despite any kind of privilege, the sound still terrified me, and it always has. So in this episode, we will look at Britain's air raid sirens. After the Cold War, our entire national warning system was very quickly dismantled. Too quickly, I feel. So what happened to all our sirens? Why do some of them remain? Still perched on roofs and poles around the country? And how will the authorities alert us if there is a national emergency now? We've talked before on this podcast about Britain's sirens. And for new listeners, let's have a very brief recap. There were two different kinds in Britain in the Cold War. There were the big, mains-powered ones, which would sit on roofs of hospitals, factories, schools, etc., all across the country. And then there were the small, hand-powered ones. The big ones, if a nuclear attack wasn't coming, would be triggered by the flick of a switch at the local police station, whereas the small ones, they were distributed mainly to rural areas, places which didn't merit having a big giant siren planted on the roof of the local school or something. So a handheld one would be given to a person of standing and trustworthy reputation in the community. This was usually the local vicar, uh, local doctor, local pub landlord, for example. And they would have their, their home or their premises fitted with a what was called a carrier receiver, a tiny grey box which would, if the moment came, deliver a verbal warning message, attack warning read. On hearing that, the pub landlord, for example, would toss his pork scratchings aside, grab the siren and rush outside with it. He would quickly assemble it and start turning the handle on its side. Five quick turns, 
then five slow turns, and that produces the recognisable rising and falling notes of the air raid siren. In 1993, very quickly after the end of the Cold War, Britain began to dismantle the siren system. Other countries didn't. As we know, Ukraine, of course, still has theirs, and thank God they do. Plenty of other countries have retained theirs, and why not? Is war over? War is never over. And even without war, there will always be the chance of national emergencies, national disasters, which require a warning system. Britain should have kept its national warning system, but we didn't. So, all the vicars and pub landlords were asked in 1993 by the local police to hand their sirens and their little carrier receivers back. As for the big sirens, sitting like frozen vultures on roofs across the land, they were gradually taken down. Many were sold for scrap, some went to museums and collectors. Indeed, I was able to see and handle one when I was at an ROC post in Largs. Some have been retained to be used as flood warnings, for example. And there are famously uh, secure hospitals. Uh, And these secure hospitals, they have sirens in case a patient escapes. It's to warn the local community, of course, to stay indoors, basically. But others remain um, stuck on roofs and bridges and poles, uh, presumably just forgotten about, or perhaps in too awkward a position, so they just thought, oh, what the hell, disconnect the thing and forget about it. There is one such um, presumably forgotten siren right in the centre of London. It's on a railway bridge outside Waterloo. (laughs) And I actually took time to go and see it the last time I was in London. My husband says this makes me a geek. He says you don't need to be into Star Trek and Dungeons and Dragons, as he is, to be a geek. Seeking out redundant air raid sirens and taking pictures of them also counts. Well, I went to see the siren and I approached it with my phone out and took pictures of it. I was fascinated by it. To see this frightening thing just sitting silently. I felt like David Attenborough approaching a fantastic rare creature in the wild. Now, why the fascination with with an unplugged redundant, useless bit of machinery. Well, to me it's a, and to many of us I suppose, it's a symbol of horror. A symbol of the ultimate horror. A reminder of what could have happened. What still could happen, I suppose. And it's sitting there, quiet and innocent, high on a railway bridge, right in the heart of London. So we have sirens that were taken away, sirens that stayed in place to be used as uh, flood warnings or escaped patient warnings, and we have some that have just been forgotten about and left where they are. But there was a fascinating story in Swansea in 2015 of a mysterious siren somewhere, which kept going off and waking people up and scaring them, of course. Here's an extract from the Times about the story. A ghostly wail, like a wartime air raid siren, is keeping the residents of Swansea awake at night. The source of the sound has yet to be traced, despite dozens of complaints over two years. Older residents say that the noise, which occurs in the early hours, 
Sounds exactly like an air raid siren used to warn of the approach of German bombers during the Blitz. Swansea was heavily bombed by the Luftwaffe and more than 200 people were killed in air raids. Noise abatement officials from Swansea Council launched an investigation but have so far been unable to identify the noise. Complaints began more than a year ago but have become more frequent in recent months. One resident, Debbie Lation, said, Everyone around here has heard it around dawn and into the early morning. It sounds just like a siren you'd hear in the war films. It always sounds like it's away in the distance, but loud enough to wake you up if you're a light sleeper. Well, two years later, the paper announced that the siren mystery had been solved. It was coming from a chemical plant six miles away from the city. Quote, The Vale Europe Nickel Factory in Clidach has finally admitted that the siren is part of its emergency evacuation procedures. It says it's required by law to carry out a monthly test of the equipment. No one had made the connection because the factory is more than six miles from Swansea. So there, another example of why sirens might still be in use across Britain and of how they can still scare people. Now, if you want to see and hear more active sirens in Britain, YouTube is the place. Check out a channel called Mr. Matt and Mr. Che, Che being C-H-A-Y, or just search, of course, for Sirens and Broadmoor or Sirens and Carstairs. That's Britain's two most um, prominent secure hospitals at the moment. And they both have sirens in case a patient escapes. These sirens are tested regularly. You can also search on YouTube for sirens being used when flooding is expected in Britain. There are some very eerie videos of sirens wailing over lovely Yorkshire towns and villages, uh, for example, Hebden Bridge. Here's a clip from one video just called Flood Sirens, Hebden Bridge. It's um, particularly eerie as the camera is panning around showing Hebden Bridge on what, um, apart from the raging torrent of water, looks like an ordinary, wet, gloomy evening. And it's the juxtaposition of dreary, wet, ordinary Britain and the siren hovering over it all. So Britain moved very fast to dismantle its siren network, with the Home Office confirming in January 1993 that the work had begun and that all sirens should be disconnected, ditched and dumped by the end of April. The reason given was the usual one, money. It's going to cost £38 million to maintain the siren network, and uh, the government also said, with uh, what now seems like giddy optimism, that relations between East and West were now so improved that there was no need for a national siren network. So, as you mentioned, the local police began pulling in all the handheld sirens which were out in the community. And one police inspector from Avon and Somerset Police told the Guardian in 93, quote, The new system is to go through the media. Someone comes on the radio and shouts duck. Now, of course, he's being sarcastic there, but that was the plan. Simply alert the population through TV and radio. What if you're not listening to your TV or your radio when it happens? Exactly. That is the fault, the great fault with the system. That's why a siren system is better. So how would the authorities 
alert the British public now if something happened? Whether that's an incoming nuclear strike, a conventional attack, or a chemical or biological terror attack? How do you swiftly, almost instantly, notify an entire population? Sirens were great for that, of course. At the flick of a switch or the turn of a handle, you had that loud, distinctive wail which everyone knows means war, attack, danger. Everyone knows what that sound means. Whether you know it from real life or from a film, it is instantly recognisable. And crucially, it is coordinated. Everyone gets the siren sound at the same time, give or take a minute perhaps to let the various vicars and pub landlords get organised. And in Britain we've just stripped that entire network away. In 1993 there was opposition to that move from the local councils. The Association of County Councils issued a report in 93 called A Cause for Alarm, which criticised the Home Office decision, saying, quote, It's very basic. There should be a nationally recognised framework organised to warn the public in the event of a major disaster. At the moment, the need to inform the public by a national warning system is underfunded, uncoordinated and ignored by the government. It goes on to say, while other European countries are replacing their old wartime siren networks with updated public information systems, the UK government appears once again to be burying its head in the sand over an important national issue. But the Home Office just kept saying, oh, but it's expensive, and they kept using the word obsolete. The system is obsolete. Yeah, perhaps it was. Perhaps it was becoming technically obsolete. But the notion of a national coordinated warning system can never be obsolete. The machinery might be, in which case get new machinery. But the idea of a a siren system which warns everyone at the same time, that can never be obsolete. That idea can never lose its value. Another part of the government's reasoning back in the 90s was, oh, we're all very modern now. Everyone has a TV and a radio, so we can reach the population that way. Okay, there might have been a a grain of truth to that in the 90s, but not now. Now, everyone has a zillion different TV channels. And we're also fractured in what we watch and how we watch it. Even if there is a big television event, I don't know, um, Ken Barlow dies in Coronation Street or something, you can no longer guarantee that a huge chunk of the nation will be sitting watching it at the same time. Even hardcore Corrie fans might not be watching it on his broadcast. They might get it later on catch-up TV. There is no way that TV and radio can scoop us all up and catch us all at one specific moment. During the Cold War, the BBC shared the responsibility for sounding the siren, the air attack warning, on TV. So if the four-minute warning had been sounded, yep, the sirens out in the street would have been um, going off, but the BBC would also have cut into whatever they were showing and also sounded the alarm. And to make sure they got as many people as possible, they had the right to cut into the broadcasts which were going out on ITV and Channel 4. But now, (laughs) they would need similar arrangements with, oh God, Netflix, with YouTube, with all the niche channels and streaming services that are out there. It's obviously not possible. TV can't reach us all as it used to. Mercifully, the Home Office seemed to have recognised that in recent years. 
and have stopped just saying, oh, we'll put it out on TV and radio. They have now started to look at uh, other technologies to alert us. So, okay, we're no longer all spellbound as a nation by Hilda Ogden, Vera Duckworth and Ken Barlow. But if there's one thing that does unite us, which everyone has and everyone uses, it's obviously a mobile phone. Everyone, almost everyone these days, can receive a text. And so, in 2018, the Cabinet Office devised a scheme to alert British people that nuclear war or some other hideous disaster was breaking out via a text. Now, if I got a text right now saying an air attack is approaching the country, I wouldn't take it seriously. I wouldn't run for cover. I would just think more spam and block the number. Indeed, if I looked closely at the text, I'd expect it to say, an air attack is approaching the country. Click here and enter your bank account number for details of what to do. Everyone gets sinister and suspicious texts, and most of us simply swipe and block. Although, of course, context matters. Um, If it happened in the midst of some terrible international tension, I might give it a bit more credence, but on an ordinary day, then no, I wouldn't take it seriously. Texts have been blighted by spammers and con merchants for too long. Think about your bank or HMRC. You, You can sign up for text alerts from them if they need to get in touch with you for something, but the text will simply be, that won't be their means of communicating with you. That won't be the thing that carries the important information because they're not trustworthy enough. It's just a text. And as for using social media, don't make me laugh. Any account can be hacked. We've seen it happen before. Even the most official, important, blue tick accounts get hacked. So there's no way anyone is responding to a a four minute warning tweet. It would have become a meme before the four minutes were up. So texts, tweets, they're seen as trivial. They don't carry any weight or importance. There's no sense of security with them. Nothing reaches us and nothing scares us and nothing gets our attention like the instantly recognisable sound of the siren. Now, of course, air raid sirens weren't foolproof. There were plenty of examples during the Cold War of... A siren going off by accident, and we've discussed that in the podcast in previous episodes. But at least when a faulty siren went off, it only affected the local community, those those within earshot of the siren. If the government text or tweet scheme was hacked, then it could reach millions of people. So if a siren did go wrong during the Cold War, it's not going to cause national panic. And um, dodgy people in other countries trying to cause mass panic and menace... They're working on hacking texts and tweets. They're not working on climbing on the roof of the local police station to mess about with the wires and set off the siren. A siren would have to be physically tampered with to set it off. Not so with tweets and texts, which can be done from afar. And that is what makes a siren more secure. Because it is a big, clunky piece of machinery, that gives it greater security from hackers. Um, Frederick Forsyth um, made the same kind of comment once before, talking about people hacking into his system and stealing his work. He said that he still uses a typewriter. And so, good luck to the hackers trying to hack into that old thing. Next week, we'll look at what happens when a government does indeed use a text message alert system to warn the population of incoming attack, and what happens when that text goes out and is wrong. I'm talking, of course, of the famous false nuclear alert in Hawaii a couple of years ago. 
So we will look at that in detail next week. And I've got three patrons to thank this week. Uh, Michelle B, Step Wolf and Kevin Wingfield, all of whom have increased the amount that they pledge each month to the podcast. So thank you to all three of you. And please do consider joining my Patreon if you want to support the podcast and my nuclear work. You get various rewards for it, uh, one of which, I suppose, the most popular reward is um, access to additional podcast episodes. Uh, There are currently nine, I think, nine episodes sitting on my Patreon site. So thank you to all my patrons. If you want to join us, please take a look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And remember, you can get me on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell, on Facebook as Nuclear Britain, or on my website, juliemcdowell.com. And thank you all for listening.